music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and this week we're happy to welcome to the show award-winning Canadian artist Jordan, who has two gold-selling singles under his belt and is now back with brand new music, including a new song called What Do I Got To Do? We also take a peek back into our vintage vault to conversations we had with Emmy award-winning actress Jess Walton, talking about her acting career, which involves a very successful run as Jill Foster Abbott on the number one daytime drama, The Young and the Restless. Another Vintage Vault interview that we visit this week is with legendary artist, percussionist, and performer Sheila E. Chatting about her amazing career and what it was like being a part of Prince's Inner Circle. Listen anytime, anyplace. Just a click away. KellyAlexanderShow.com We are thrilled to welcome to the show award-winning Canadian recording artist Jordan, who has had gold-selling singles like You Can Have It All, and like magic, he's back with a brand new single, also a refreshed sound, and we're super excited to speak to him. Jordan, thanks so much for hanging out with us on the show. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So I have to bring you back to the beginning. How did your music career start, and what would you consider your first big break that opened doors for you? Music career started, um, I'd say, when I moved back to Halifax from Toronto when I was about 11 years old, and my brother, he had a CD collection, and he uh, he had this job working at Pizza Hut, and he used to go to work, and he'd be like, "Don't touch my CD." So I found uh, Tevin, uh, uh, "Tender Love" by Babyface, his first album, Babyface's first album, and I learned the song "Sunshine," and I fell in love with singing. So that's where it really kind of, you know, hit me, and I was like, "You know what? This feels good. I want to try this one day." But that's it, I, it. It stops there because I didn't pursue doing music until years later because I fell in love with the game of basketball. But that's where I first got the bug. That's where the seed was planted. Uh, Babyface, Tender Love. Amazing. And who else uh, influenced you musically? Like what what artists? And do they still play a part in influencing you today? Um, Tina Turner, um, James Brown, Michael Jackson. Um, who else? You've got like Usher. There's Alicia Keys. There's uh, Jodeci. There's like the R&B guys from the '90s that were that were amazing. You know, guys like Joe, uh, Silk, and there's a ton of there's a ton of ton of artists. But this is why we this is why we get along because (laughs) I'm a huge Janet Jackson fan and a big R&B fan from the '90s. So this is this is good. But as far as that question you asked about, um, the first break that I had was actually the first song that I ever recorded. Uh, it was called Love Song, and I freestyle recorded it with uh, my buddy Trovis. Um, and about two months later, uh, Alexander Keys p- uh, picked it up, and they gave it away on this East Coast CD compilation in every two four of beer. So that was like my biggest, you know, thing to happen to my career then. And I thought it was awesome that people all around Nova Scotia were bu- buying a two two four of beer and getting getting one of my songs. So that was my biggest, my first big break. And then I was like, you know what? I like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, was your family always supportive of, of this career? 100%. My, um, my dad at first was, you know, he didn't want to let go to the NBA dream. Uh, but he was like, you know what? Go ahead. Just, just do it. Take your time and, you know, get it done. If you love it, do it, son. So, but yeah, they were definitely, they've always been supportive of anything that I've done. It's mainly been the two passions have been basketball and music. And did you find that you had to like like leave the East Coast to get more success or were you happy to kind of still call that home base? 
Um, you know what? That's a good question because it comes up quite often, but it's it's hard to answer completely because when the right before I left home, I had some um, national success at radio. You know, I was getting a ton of shows. I was I was pretty active working, but then I signed a new production deal with uh, Kuya Productions in Toronto. So for the first year of that deal, I was commuting back and forth, and it just be- became expensive. So, you know, making the trip to make Toronto my base, which is also home for me because I've lived half my life in Toronto and half my life in Nova Scotia. But it was it was definitely important and it definitely helped my career a lot because being in the city around the movers and shakers, it's easier to have access to bigger studios. You know, there could be a songwriting camp here or some producer that's in from L.A. or something. I can get in with them and write a record, you know, as far as, you know, producers and people coming out that far east, you know, it wouldn't happen as much and of course i have friends and producers out there like classified who i work with a lot and that have made great careers you know make great names for themselves by staying at home but for me it was just a little different and you know i'm still here in toronto so i love it did you ever feel the call to go to los angeles yeah 100 that's always like you know that you know the hollywood dream and, and leaving and going and i've gone but it's always been you know i've had uh label deals already in canada situated and so i was going out there and it was always for work where it was like I was shooting a video or I had a week long songwriting camp, but I've never gone and like got to network the way I wanted to. So definitely that's in the, uh, the new year that's plans for the new year is, you know, you know, getting back on radio and, and, um, you know, taking, taking some things slowly in Canada, then making that, that jump to the U S market and the UK market and try to see if we can uh, make some noise and some waves over there in those different, different markets. <laughs> What was the first song that you uh, heard on the radio of yours and where were you? How did it feel? Uh, it was amazing. It was Feeling Fine featuring Classified and Jay Busy. And uh, I was, I remember the street I was at Lucknow. I was in uh, my girlfriend's apartment and I knew the song had been out on radio. So I just I got got there one day and I was just like, you know, I'm alone. Let me just turn this on radio, see if it comes on. And I was alone. So I, I, I screamed, I screamed like a baby, <laughs> but it was like, ah, my song's on. But I remember being super excited. I'll never forget that's the first time. And it's the first song I've ever had on radio as well. So it was really, really awesome. And, you know, to to be able to hear yourself, you know, after, you know, listening to the song probably for a thousand times before anybody else heard it and then hear it on the radio when everyone else is hearing it, it's exciting. It's always exciting. It never gets old when, they, when you hear yourself on the radio. Now, when you can have it all started making noise, because that's the song that, like, I think I knew you first from, were you surprised at the success of that song or did you have a feeling when you were working on it that it was going to go um no i had a feeling uh we we kind of made some trips to some radio stations and i had a feeling because everybody i played it for was really like this is something catchy this is great so i had a good feeling i was just a little like you know worried at first because i i wrote the song for someone else and i didn't want to get the, the you know the audience confused but um no I, I everyone seemed to be pretty confident on the label and everyone so you know, as soon as we took it into certain stations and they were like, man, this is awesome. We love it. I was like, oh, this is going to be great because I've already had a little bit of success at radio with some of the earlier stuff. So just to feel the excitement from all the different radio stations was cool. So definitely It feels like at that time you were like everywhere. Were you able to enjoy the success or was it like just a roller coaster ride? Oh, no, definitely. I definitely got to. I mean, the enjoying the, the, the enjoyment part for me was staying busy. You know, and that was like, you know, being able to, okay, I have another show in a week. All right, great. You know, that's the enjoyment. And that is the success for me, you know, is to be, to, to, to remain busy. Every artist wants to be on the road. Every artist wants to be on stage. So that was enjoying the success for me. Definitely. Amazing. And um, 
you know, when the album came out and it started to do well, obviously with those two singles going gold selling for you, uh, how did that feel to have like two singles go like selling gold? That's amazing. It was awesome. I mean, you know, it's a little different from numbers in the States and here, but it's definitely an accomplishment. And at that time I was, I had some friends that like, cause I was like, you know, new artists and not so, so new, but like new to the success of like the, you know, the, it's the, the national success and, and, and being invited to award shows and being nominated. So I was, you know, at first I was like, I want more, I want more. And I had some friends humble me real quick and be like, man, you, you better appreciate what you just did because not a lot of artists, especially even black artists have had that opportunity at that time to have, you know, a gold selling record in the country. So for me, I, I, I quickly turned, uh, changed my tone and, and was very grateful. And, um, you know, we're, we're back to try to do it again, Kelly. Uh, this is what we want. This is what we want. Now, um, you know, f- as far as I know, like, you know, I haven't heard some of your newer stuff on the radio in a while. So did you take a break for a while? And 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 what was the reasoning to to come back with this kind of refreshed sound? Yeah, um, well, I had a daughter. I definitely took a break. Um, I didn't take a break in recording, but I was um, like I said, I had different contracts that I was trying to get out of at the time. So at the same the same year at the time uh, streaming the streaming platforms became a thing i wasn't putting out any music so i missed like almost three years of that wave of streaming and everybody doing streams because i was trying to get out of a contract that i didn't want the um the company to own the rights to my my new music so i had to wait about two and a half years to to you know legally get out of that contract so i guess you could say i kind of took a break but i still recorded a ton of music and then right after I was able to get out of that contract, I started releasing stuff. So around 2018, I started releasing music and coming back into the into the scene a bit. And did you find like because I know that, you know, there's like the, the list is long of artists who end up in contracts that they don't want to be in and it's not working out for them. Um, what advice would you have to an up and coming artist about signing said contracts? Uh, I would say uh, make sure you have a lawyer read over the contract and then have a lawyer read over the contract after that lawyer reads over it. And, you know, after you get a red line from one lawyer, go to another lawyer and just take your time and just try to learn a little bit about the business side of things and understand what these keywords mean and what, you know, the the, the, the fine print is saying to you before you go ahead and sign it. You know, I, I was uh, younger and excited to that a label was interested in me. So I, I just went ahead and signed, you know, and, um, you know, it was, it, it worked out, you know, it's just, uh, the sunset clause of getting out wasn't the thing that I had did read the frying print on, but it worked out and we, we had some great success and I wouldn't change it for the world, but, um, you know, I'm just grateful that now I have this opportunity to come back with a new label, you know, with a new team, new management and, and do this all again. Talk to us about the new single, uh, What Do I Got To Do? Tell me how the song came about, uh, the vibe you were going for, and uh, what you want the fans to take away from it. Yeah, uh, What Do I Got To Do? So Jensen Vaughn, who is an amazing songwriter from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, he's been tearing up the airwaves as a songwriter. You've probably heard uh, one of his big ones, This Is What It Feels Like, Trevor Guthrie, he wrote that one as well. So he's a buddy of mine from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. So he used to live in Toronto. So we just, we, we've been writing, collaborating for, for years, you know, since 2011. And every time he moved back home recently, the last couple of years. So every time I go home, I let him know I'm home. And then he'll be like, all right, come by. There's a producer in town. You know, he always has producers flying into Nova Scotia and just uh, treating them with that beautiful ocean we got out there. So he always, every time he has a adult producer come into, into town, he'll hit me up to see if I'm there. And I just so happened to be there when Joel Stouffer was there, who was uh, a member of Dragonette. 
big producer with Dragonette. And um, I went in and, you know, we started writing the record and it was just, you know, we were kind of not thinking about me at first. Once again, we were thinking about um, actually The weekend, and we started to produce it like with vibes that would cater to his sound, I guess, with I Can't Feel My Face. And then we kind of went into like, felt more disco. So we just kept going with it. And, and once like about a, about a year went by, we're like, oh, this is just collecting dust. And this is a great song. I brought it to this new team. They loved it and they wanted to go full force with it. So we went into Sony and re-recorded it. Got a new situation over at Sony Orchard in the U.S. And yeah, we're here now. We're talking about it. And definitely um, the team, as you can see, Kelly, the hair is hairing. And uh, the team was like, let's just, you know, play off of the, the the vibe of your look and, you know, kind of do some soul R&B disco pop vibes. So that's kind of where the direction is going now. So is uh, a new album on the way for us? 100%. We're going to get one in the fall for sure. And talk about sequencing that album, because I know that, you know, so many people just release singles these days and don't do an album. And I want to know what your thoughts on that is and also how you're going to sequence the album. Are you going to tell a story? Yeah, this time around, you know what? Um, I normally try to tell a story. I did that with my Ralph, my Ralph project that I put out um, a, few, a few years back. And, you know, I just kind of like let the fans in on you know, a little bit more of my personal life when I come down with my family. I have my family do like, you know, little interludes on it. My daughter has an interlude on, interlude on it. And, you know, I kind of let the fans into uh, my life that way. But this time around, I think, you know, and that was like, I re finished recording that during the pandemic. So people were just kind of like in serious mode. So, but now I'm just, you know, I'm trying to cater to the, to the, uh, the vibe and the energy of, of the world right now. It seems like everybody is dancing. Everybody's outside enjoying themselves. They're at festivals and concerts. So I'm going to just cater it to that, to that sound and, and try to match the look as well with the, with the disco. So I'm, I, I think this time, Kelly, I'm just going to direct it strictly to that. You know, I always, you know, like doing R&B slower records, but we're doing some disco R&B pop. You might get like a, a slower disco, like a soul disco sound, you know, maybe like, you know, back Earth, Wind & Fire Day, something like that. You know what I mean? So we're going to stick in, 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 in one, one direction. Very cool. And now um, you know, you've probably heard, obviously, Amanda Marshall recently came back after her break, which I think also had to do with contract issues and stuff like that. And she's just wrapping up a very successful you know, run of tour dates right across the country. Will you do that for us, too, going across the country? Planning it. We're, we're hoping to get that underway before the year's out. Um, and definitely, you know, uh, once we get some traction and get things going with this new, new single, and I'm getting some great feedback. We've sat with some you know, with some programmers, sat with some hosts and talking to you now. So hopefully, you know, this one uh, will do some great things and we'll be able to hit the road and, and uh, all around the country for sure. And what are you manifesting for yourself for the, over the next six months to a year? Next six months to a year, uh, manifesting, getting in, getting to L.A., getting to the States and establishing a working relationship with that I guess with that geography, the geographic, you know, meet, meeting some new people, creating new fans down there and be able to, you know, perform down there and possibly tour the U.S. as well. That's what I'm manifesting. I want to get out and tour some other parts of the world, maybe starting with the U.S. or the U.K. What um, top 10 producer or I should say top 40 producer would you like to work with from the States right now? Pharrell. Pharrell. He's the guy, number one guy for me. He's... Um, and, you know, he makes music that kind of fits this this kind of vibe that I'm doing, too. So definitely Pharrell. I've been a huge fan of everything he's done over the years. And um, mainly I saw this one interview uh, after he won, like, a Brit Award or something like that. And he was, uh, he was like, 
hurt about Michael Jackson not singing one of his songs. And I, I still think he is because he still brings it up. He's like, man, he gave, but he gave most of those uh, songs to uh, to Justin Timberlake on the Justified album. It's about that. Justin Timberlake talks about that. But yeah, he since then, I'm like, yo, I got to get one of those songs from Pharrell. Like, let me hold one of those. I know you got one in the vault somewhere. But him, definitely Pharrell. Would love to work with Pharrell. If you were in a, a super group, who would be the other two members? Super group, other two members would be Nas and Alicia Keys. That's solid. Yeah. Is there a, a household chore you actually like doing? Yeah, I don't mind doing the dishes. I mean, in my, I mean, I'm getting older now. I'm, um, my mom and dad. I was lucky when I was when I was playing sports because they they understood the the time and effort and and um, you know dedication into playing a sport. So my my pops would always be like, no, no, go ahead. You got to practice. Go ahead. I'll do this. My mom, same thing. So, but as I got older, I, I, I learned to really appreciate that. When I moved to France and played professionally over there, I was like, oh man, I, I'm never going to let my parents do this stuff again for me. Cause I, you know, you, when you do it for yourself, you, you get it, you find a different appreciation for it. But when I'm home, that's what I make sure like now when I go visit, whatever they need done, I'm on it before they even ask. So, but I don't mind doing it now because it was all, taken care of in my younger years. That's so great. And speaking of basketball, I have to ask you, uh, what would have been your dream team to be drafted by in the NBA? Oh, the Chicago Bulls. I was a, a huge Bulls fan. Um, and, you know, Michael Jordan was definitely a huge influence on me as a basketball player and the whole the whole run of the Bulls. But, um, yeah, I was late to learning about Michael Jordan. A little funny story. If you don't mind sharing, if I, I share, but... Um, my first basketball team, I only went to play on the basketball team when I moved to Nova Scotia because the guys all had these um, varsity jackets. So I wanted to be cool. I get to practice and they're like, can you play? And I'm like, yeah, I can play. And the coach passed me the ball. That's how I learned about who Michael Jordan was. Passed me the ball at the middle of the court. And he's like, well, you got the name. Let's see if you got the game. <laughs> and I was just like, what do I do? So I ran, I threw the ball, I missed everything. And then everyone laughed. And then that day I decided that I'm not going to, they're not going to laugh at me again. So I, I worked hard at this but definitely the Bulls, Chicago Bulls. That's very, very good. If you were, uh, is it, like when it comes to Canadian artists, whether it's pop or R&B, who are you, uh, you know, interested by or would like to collaborate with as a, another Nelly Canadian? Potato. Nelly Potato for sure. Um, Jesse Reyes. I love Jesse Reyes. I think she is just phenomenal. I'd say those two for now. Kate Trinado would be dope. Definitely Kate Trinado would be awesome. It's his vibe, you know, with I mean, a and the, what they're doing is like kind of like the direction I'm going in. So somebody holler at Kate Chinato over there. At <laughs> <laughs> um, do you ever get starstruck? Uh, yeah, definitely. I remember meeting Clyde Drexler once. Oh, that's hot. Oh, like, yo, oh, we were on a plane going to Dallas and I was like, Mr. Drexler, how you, how you doing? <laughs> Just like I was, I was shaking up because, you know, that's. You know, you see some guys that you, you look up to and idolize, your, your, you know, with, with your passion and get to see them definitely get starstruck a little bit. You know, you try to keep it cool, but I know they can always tell. <laughs> That's awesome. I love Clyde. He's such a smooth dude. Like he's uh, he's like the, the king of smooth. Um, what message do you have for your Montreal fans? Montreal fans, um, thank you for the support. I uh, hope you guys come out and see me when I hit the city. Please listen to the new single, call up the radio show, call the Kelly Alexander show. Make sure that you request it and, and dance to it all summer. I want to see you guys moving. 
Amazing. Jordan, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Kelly. That is Canadian artist uh, Jordan. Don't forget that you can follow him on social media at Jordan Music. And of course, check out his new single, What Do I Got To Do? Hey, what's up? This is Jordan. I'm hanging out on the Kelly Alexander Show. We're very happy to welcome to the show an Emmy award-winning actress who has legions of fans after portraying the character of Jill Abbott on the number one daytime drama, The Young and the Restless, since 1987. Jess Walton, thank you so much for joining us on The Kelly Alexander Show. Oh, it's my pleasure. When I hear that description of me, I can't even believe it's me. <laughs> well, it's awesome. I mean, I, just like yesterday. I remember it was just like yesterday when they called me up from CBS and said, well, you're going to be one of our daytime stars, so we're going to be handling you. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be a star. <laughs> it's, just, it's so strange to hear these kind of things, you know, because you're just a person who goes to work in a job in your mind. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you have many accolades, and we can't wait to get to all of them. I did want to take you back just to start. Did you know early on in life that you wanted to pursue a career in acting? Always. That's all I ever wanted to do. I mean, for a while, I tried out being a filing clerk because I thought being an actress was just like a pipe dream that all girls wanted to do. And so after about six months of it, I thought I would rather be dead than keep doing this. (laughs) You know, so anyway, it was not very uh, exciting for me. That was, as a matter of fact, that was around the time when the Beatles became famous, that happened while I was a filing clerk and that President Kennedy was killed, too. Oh, wow. That's how long ago that was. I know. I know. I remember it like it was yesterday, what? being in the filing room when that happened. Wow, that's crazy. Now, what would you consider Jill to you be know. your, or Jess, I should say, it's because I watch the show too much. Um, what would okay, you, I don't care. <laughs> what would you consider uh, to be your first big break in Hollywood? Um, I think when William Morris wanted to handle me because they were a very, very big agency. And I was in Canada and my, I had a manager up there. I did a lot of theater and she was coming down to Los Angeles from Toronto to sell this singing group. And when she showed them my picture that was in her portfolio, they said, oh, my God, she's so young and she's done so much stuff. Could you bring her down, too? So that was my first big break. That's amazing. And were you uh, trepidatious at all about leaving Toronto or were you happy to get going south? No, I was really happy to get going because I had fallen in love. I'm a kind of impulsive person. And on the week that I was down here meeting with William Morris, I met a rock and roll manager who happened to uh, manage Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, some very big stars. And we fell madly in love. And so a week after I went home, I had moved everything and came down here. And that was the start of everything. Wow. Now, I was reading some some background stuff and, and uh, I didn't think I, I guess I didn't know this before, but I read that you were you were sort of guest starring on a bunch of shows like Gunsmoke and the Rockard Files and all that kind of stuff. Um, what was it like to be a part of that Hollywood scene in the 70s and 80s? Well, it's history now. And you look back at it romantically. Um, it was a working actress hoping for the next job. At one point, I was put under contract at Universal and I didn't any longer have to go out and audition. They just put me where they wanted me in any of the universal shows. But it was the typical actress going on auditions, and I hated auditions. Um, And it was back, God, you know, it was about 50 years ago. That's what's so amazing about it. Um, It was about 50 years ago, and the town was very different. Um, And you used to have two or three days preparation for an audition. Now I hear they can call you the same day and you put it on tape. So 
I don't know. It was very kind of, it was historical, I think, now when I look back on it. When it comes to and a fun time and a fun time, when it comes to getting yeah. the role of of Jill Foster Abbott on YNR, uh, did you have to audition, or, or like you said, they called you up? So did you have to do any auditioning, or it was just here you go? Not on YNR, no. I auditioned for Capital, and I was on there for three years. And because when Capital ended, I had put a tape together of my best themes, and that that you know spoke for me. And that's why I didn't have to audition because it was right there. And Bill Bell, God bless him could see in me what he needed in jail right there in front of him on the tape. Now, I know this was obviously Except a white... for a while. He thought Jess Walton was a man, so he didn't even look at it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. They said, have you, well, he said, I can't find a new jail. And they said, well, have you seen Jess's tape? And he said, oh, I thought Jess Walton was a guy. <laughs> so he didn't look at it. But then he looked at it and then I got the job. So that was great. I wanted to ask you, too, because I know as a as a, a daytime fan, sometimes uh, you get super involved in not only the character, but then who the who the actor and the actress you know are. And uh, I know there's is sometimes there's very successful recasts and sometimes there's not. And obviously, your uh, recast of Jill was was very successful. Did you find it, though, daunting to have to take over from Brenda Dixon? Well, I had already taken over when I went to Capitol. I was taking over for a major character. So I was kind of used to it, you know. Um, I was very happy about it because on Capitol, I was not a core family member. When I was coming to YNR, I was coming over as one of the Abbots, and I knew they were a core family. So I was very happy because there is a lot of security in that position. You know, um, I remember Ed Scott, who was our wonderful producer for many years. He kept coming down. We used to do a lot of takes. Now we do, you know, one or two takes. But back then we had the luxury of more. And he'd come down and he'd alter me slightly in little different ways so that the audience, it would be a smooth transition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little daunting, more so than if I'd probably had a new character to play. But I felt really guided and taken care of. So that was great. And besides which, we shot Capitol right across the hall from YNR. So I knew all the makeup people already and the camera people and a lot of the actors. So it was really, it couldn't have been more perfect. Joining us on the show is Emmy Award-winning actress Jess Walton from The Young and the Restless. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at JessWaltonYR. Jess, I wanted to ask you what you love the most about portraying Jill, because when we watch you on scene, uh, or you know, on screen, I should say, you literally embody Jill. Like, it's just like you are her. Thank you. I really believe that actors on soap operas, especially if you're on a long time, the characters kind of blend together. Now, the parts of Jill that are not me are the ones that are a lot of fun to play. But, I mean, I used to tell people I'd get a script and I'd see some outrageous things I had to do and I would die because it was so embarrassing. You know, um, I don't know. It is effortless. Part of me lives as Jill. Okay. You know, um, I, I was never one of those people that brought my work home, though. There, there is a separation there. Um, I most enjoy the comedy scenes. I really, really miss Jeannie Cooper as a person, as an actress. And a big part of what I miss is that we used to do so much comedy. And I don't really get a chance to do that much anymore, you know, a little bit with Esther, but 
I really did it with Gene. That's why I loved um, Tristan Rogers so much as my husband, because he used to make me laugh, and he's a funny guy. So yeah, that's you, my favorite part of Jill. Well, you guys are amazing, and I, I'm glad you brought up uh, Gina Cooper, because I, w- I was reading, and I'm not sure if it's accurate, but I'm hoping it is, that, that your on-screen feud is actually the longest-running uh, feud on American soap operas. And I know at the end of the sh- like at the end oh. of the yeah, like, I think that's amazing. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I do, too. I do, too. And it was, there was nothing like it, I'm telling you. We would trust each other so much. And we would, we would attack a scene. We used to be hours in her dressing because her, the chancellor living room set was up last in the day. So we get a lot of time to work on those scenes. And we would build those scenes um, for the climax to the, for the punchline. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And both of us, would give the other person the punchline if that's the way it was written. We would play it like <laughs> it was Abbott and Costello, but it was some kind of partnership. Oh, um, it was and amazing. both of us loved the comedy scenes. Well, you guys, like you literally are like almost like the dynamic duo. And I wanted to ask you, because um, I still vividly remember uh, her last scene, you know, when she walked up that staircase. Did you have any sense that things were not going well at that point, that that might be her last episode? Because I, I know all of us were did. devastated. I, yeah. knew she, I knew she wasn't well. And I remember sitting in while we were in the living room part of the scene, just wondering how much longer we could go on like this. I remember thinking that. And then she got up and left uh, to go upstairs and I followed her to the hall. And I think I did have some kind of inkling that it might be the last. I, I remember, I, I think I remember thinking one of these scenes is going to be the last one. That's what I thought. Wow. And what was it like when yeah. you guys had to um, shoot that special, which was amazing, talking about her life and, and obviously her, her you know presence on YNR for so long? Because that was such an, an amazing episode as a fan to be able to see you guys out of character talking about her. Yeah, it was wonderful. And it was very special. And um, and it was heartbreaking at the same time. At, uh, also, I don't even know if it had thoroughly hit me. It it sure hit me while, a while after that, whenever I'd be driving into work, and I didn't have that to look forward to, um, because I used to, God, I loved working with her and driving into work, knowing that we were going to laugh so much that day, you know? Um, we used to both come, Laurel Canyon is a street that comes into Hollywood over the hills, and we would race each other <laughs> in the mornings up that street. We'd pass each other in our cars and... Oh, my God. She was just magnificent. Magnificent. Now, uh, you've been paired with so many uh, men on YNR over the years, but I think some of our favorite scenes as fans, at least in my case, is when I watch you as Jill take on Victor and and Jack. Like you just like you stand up to them and it's amazing. And it's again, it just seems effortless. And and we as an audience totally believe that you could take either of them down at any point. Uh, What's it like working with Eric and Peter Bergman? Um, they're both very, very different. Um, a long, long time ago, Jill and Eric had an affair. And Jill thought that Eric, that uh, Victor was going to ask her to marry him when, in fact, he was planning to break up with her. Um, and I remember I had some crying scenes after that. And I used to have a lot of difficulty crying. But I never had any trouble crying with Eric. And I tried to analyze why that was. And I think it's because he was such a strong man that I felt very supported. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And very safe to cry. I remember being surprised by that. 
she was also very, very funny, I remember. I was a little um, nervous about working with him just because of, you know, the way he is. But he couldn't have been kinder. He was absolutely fabulous. And Peter, on the other hand, um, is equally strong for sure. I'm much closer to Peter, um, you know, as a person. And we have worked together much, much more. And I don't know if there's anybody I'm more comfortable working with than Peter. And you talk about trust, too. I mean, we'll discuss the scene beforehand and what's going on with it. And we're always on the same page. And he makes me laugh so much. I mean, it's a great joy to me that I still get to see both of those men today after 31 years, you know, and we work together. It's uh, such a gift. There's a, uh, you know, a lot of powerful women on that show. And I also love when you get to mix it up with, uh, with Melody Thomas Scott, what's it like working oh. with her? <laughs> She's the funniest person. She makes me laugh constantly. I, w- I mean, the two of us together in the scenes, both coming from different places, but, but as women, we've occupied the same kind of um, occupation for so many years. And we know all the ins and outs of it. And we love to spar with each other. So that's a joy to me. And I wish we had more scenes together, actually. Yeah, because it's awesome. And I find that since Jeannie's been gone, obviously, I know it's not the same dynamic, but I find like we get a bit of that comedy element with you and, and Nikki on screen. And it's yeah. fun to watch you guys go at each other, especially in the in the Chancellor Park over JT's um, statue or, or that statue that they, <laughs> they had. That was amazing. Yeah, scenes. yeah. And it's like a battle among equals. I love that with, with, with Melody and me. And that's what I mean. Like we're veterans and we've both been around and it's, it's really a one, a wonderful sparring contest. I have to take you back to when you won the uh, Emmy Award. Obviously, you've been nominated a bunch of times, and then you you won back in um, the late 90s for for leading actress. Can you explain to us um, what it feels like to be nominated, but then actually to walk away with that win? Because, again, there's so many amazing actresses in daytime, and I don't think you guys get enough credit. Um, So it must be super special to to, to walk away with that Emmy. It was was very, very special. I remember the first time I was nominated, I was new to the soap community, and that was just such a pleasure in itself. I think the first time I was nominated, I don't know if I won. I won, I won for Best Supporting at one point, and the minute they called my name, I couldn't believe it. What I felt, it was like that Sally Fields thing. It was an outpouring of love. Just you flash on all the people who voted yes for you, and it's a really a wonderful feeling of acceptance within that community. And, and although I always treasured that Emmy so much, it was a supporting actress. So that made the best actress or the lead actress even better because, and I was the first actress, lead actress to win on YNR in all those years that it had been on, they'd never had another lead actress win. So that was a really big thrill. And I, I don't know. I, it really sounds stupid, but it felt like I had proved myself that I had made the grade and I was capable of it. Because there's, I think in most actors, there's a little bit of insecurity about that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that kind of erased that from me. Amazing. And I wanted so, to ask you, too, yeah. um, about 
the because you know you've been on on YNR for. Are you for, from Canada? I am. I'm from Montreal. Are you from Canada? I am. Oh my God! I was raised in Toronto. You know. This is what I found out, which I think I is just, amazing. Yeah, I just heard the about. I'm sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. What you say? <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, you'll have to come up to Montreal and have some poutine, though. I don't know if you've been back to Montreal, but you should definitely come up in the summer. That'd be good. I would love. To. I would. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask okay. you too, um, because you've been on on this, you know, daytime for so long, and obviously, I'm sure you've met tons and tons of fans over the years. And I wanted to get your opinion on this because, you know, I've been watching YNR since 1991. I was 13 years old at the time and I became enamored with it and I've stuck with it all these years. And over the years, as I've gone through um, my life and, and the different chapters that have gone through and, and just in my own regard, I always feel like I'm super connected to this show. And it feels like I, you know, I follow the bumps and bruises along with the characters and even with the actors, especially now that there's social media and we can si- sort of follow you guys a little bit uh, in your real life. Why do you think daytime connects so um, much with audiences and that you we you guys do feel like you're an extended part of our family well i think it's because you come into our homes every day and you, you come into our homes i mean we come into your homes obviously through the tv but you actually right there in front of us it's like we're there with you and it's every day it seems to make a lot of sense to me you know it's it's very different from a paul newman or a you know, Marlon Brando, and I'm dating myself, <laughs> just somebody current. But, um, you know, Brangelina or whatever, although they're broken up now. It just seems normal to me. And I really think it's related to the nuclear family being blown apart so much with parents on one coast, their children raising their grandchildren on another coast. Everybody's so far apart. And so you kind of need a replacement for that. And there's some kind of link because you don't know how many people say that. Everybody says that. Every fan says that. Um, I have a girlfriend who's a super good fan, and it's the only thing she and her mother could stand to discuss over the dinner table was what Jill and Catherine did that day. Um, it's it's an amazing phenomenon, but when you really think about it, it's not that strange. You see us at our most vulnerable. You see us crying. You see our joy. I mean, uh, you used to, yeah. Anyway, it makes a lot of sense to me. What does your uh, fans mean to you, Jess? Because again, like we just love you. Like I, every time you bounce back into Genoa City, I'm just ecstatic. So I hope there's more of you to come too. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. You know, I sometimes wonder because it's kind of I don't come back that often, um, and I'm overjoyed when I do come back. But thank you. I'm glad that you feel that way. Oh, a thousand percent. You literally, every time I see you bounce back into screen and then you're usually with Jason Thompson, like I just, I'm, I'm like, here she's back. And I'm, I always hope you stay for a long time too. Oh, you're so sweet. I love working with him, by the way, too. Sometimes when I come back, they just have me blasting somebody. I think, <laughs> well, but then they, then they very often do have the scenes with my sons, you know, where I'm softer and everything. It's kind of a balancing act with Jill. Because I can be really horrendous to, to people sometimes. And then... I'm always glad that they're very smart in the writing, that they show the softer side of me, too. Uh, just a couple of more questions before you go. I did want to ask this just because, again, all of us who are, are big fans of wine are, are, of course, very sad at the passing of Christoph St. John. I just wanted to know if you had any words that you wanted to pass along to my audience about what he was like as a colleague and friend. Well, the only thing I could say to your audience that he was very, very much um, behind the scenes like he was on the screen. This man was one of the most loving people I ever met. I mean... The truth is I didn't do much work with him later. When he first came on, I did work with him. Um, when Drusilla was on, he was 
with her. And then at the Jabot, he worked for Jabot early on. I remember thinking at the time, my God, they've they've hired such a wonderful actor. He's going to be such a great staple for the show because I had no doubt that he would be around for a long, long time. So that was the actor part of it. And in later years, I didn't really work with him that much. But always over the years, this man was one of the most loving people I ever met. He'd walk down the hall. The minute you would catch eyes with him, his whole face would light up and he would hold open his arms and he would hug you. And it was and it didn't matter that we hadn't seen each other in a long time. He was just pure love. He was a great, great, loving human being. So we miss him horribly. And he was like this with everybody. It wasn't just me that felt that way. There was a big kid inside of him, too. Um, I know he was a father figure on YNR, but there was a big kid inside of him and he was gleeful and he was joyful and he loved to play and um, and I'll miss him very, very much. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know like my audience were, were big daytime fans and, and, you know, getting the news earlier this year was just terrible. So thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, just before you go, I did want to ask, uh, do you have any hopes uh, and, and dreams for Jill coming up? Because again, we really enjoy every time you come back and I think you have to travel back and forth to, to California to do the work on YNR. Uh, but we do hope you, you stay around for sure. I hope so. So maybe your people could mail the writers because that's always the way if they find if they get a good idea for a story from me, because I've already told them that I love doing the work. So um, if if as far as I'm concerned, if I had my druthers, I would run Chancellor again. So that would be my dream. That would be amazing. Well, I Jess, thank you so much for doing this. It literally has been an honor to have you on the show. Like I said, I've watched you since I was 13 years old and uh, you're a part of my life. So every time you, again, sashay back into to town, I'm just, I'm, I'm gleeful. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It was so lovely talking to you. Thank you. That is uh, Emmy Award winning actress Jess Walton from The Young and the Restless. And please make sure to follow her on Twitter at Jess Walton YR. Like us on Facebook, Kelly Alexander Show. This is a dream come true to welcome this legendary artist to The Kelly Alexander Show. Sheila E. is an iconic percussionist, performer, singer, songwriter, and author who has brought so much joy to so many with her phenomenal talents. Sheila, thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. What is it about the drums that kind of speaks to your soul and has continued to do so after decades of being in the music industry? I started playing because of my dad playing, and he still plays pl- percussion, congas and timbales and bongos and hand percussion. And I guess growing up listening to him and watching him practice every single day to LPs, to music, to jam sessions, having his band play in the house. Um, I just, I've been around it my whole life, so I, I, I think I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> and was it a natural progression for you, Sheila, to go from, uh, you know, being a percussionist to then also adding to your repertoire being a vocalist? Um, in a sense, yeah, uh, we have a lot of uh, parties growing up and uh, family gatherings. And because our family is so big, and I mean, literally, like, oh, it's about a thousand of us, we just stopped counting. Um, and the big parties that we would have, it was me and my two brothers and sometimes my mom. We were always the ones to go ahead and sing and pretend like we're singing James Brown or The Temptations or Stevie Wonder, anyone on Motown. And we would just emulate people, you know, the Jackson 5. Uh, 
uh, anyone that we could think of, we would just pretend like we're singing and dancing and we were part of the entertainment for all the parties. Can you take us back to when you were working on The Glamorous Life? Because obviously that is such a huge you know, song and album for everyone that's a big fan of yours to know about. I'm just wondering, when you were working on that, did you have a sense that it was going to be something special? Not at all. No, um, it was almost the last song to be put on the record um, because uh, once we had it, well, it wasn't complete. It was, I knew that it was a lot of percussion I wanted to put on it. Um, I couldn't find a melody for the song and I couldn't think of anything. And if I, back then, if I left a song undone for too long as an instrumental, then it's just going to be an instrumental. So that's what it was to me. Um, it was just a dance track with no, no uh, singing on it. And we finally put it on the record once it was done. And then Warner Brothers wanted us to not have that as the first single. I fought for it to be the first single they wanted Bella say Mark and I explained to them I'm a woman who is up and coming artist who is playing percussion and want to feature percussion because no one that I could that I knew of back then was leading their own band playing timbales and they're like what are timbales so we did a showcase for Warner Brothers we played Glamorous Life and they got it and they're like okay Glamorous Life will be the first single otherwise it would have been Bella St. Mark when you first met Prince, what was that experience like? Did you kind of know that you might have some sort of longstanding relationship with him? Because it just seems like when people say the word Prince, then your name comes shortly after. <laughs> um, no, um, he he. when I first met him, he was in the Bay Area and he wanted to record his first record in the studio where... Um, Carlos Santana and Sly Stone had been recording and he loved the Bay Area musicians. He was influenced by all of them. And um, my dad was in Santana at the time and they were recording and said that there was some young kid in the studio writing and producing and playing his own stuff. Um, we met soon after and he was playing one of his shows there in the Bay Area and um, no one really knew who he was. And I went to introduce myself and he said, I already know who you are. I've been following your career. I'm a fan. I love you, um, blah, 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 and all this stuff. We exchanged numbers and we just kind of hung out. But no one at the time knew who Prince was and thought he was really strange and weird. So <laughs> um, I thought it was cool. I mean, I didn't see anything. I mean, I've been around musicians my whole life. So to me, everyone's a little, we're all a little bit quirky. Mm -hmm. so it's just, you know, it was the norm for me. I mean, we dressed in platform shoes and bell bottoms. I had an Afro, I had beads and, and jewelry. And I mean, that's the Bay Area. That's what we did. So now it's already been three years since his passing. And I'm just wondering, as someone who collaborated with him so closely and who is, you know, such a good friend of his, is it still surreal to you, uh, Sheila? Because it's surreal to us as fans that he's no longer with us. Of course. Yeah, every day. Every day it's it's something, a reminder that, you know, we lose people that we love too soon sometimes and it's it's hard. Now, you've played with so many amazing musicians apart from Prince. I'm just wondering, can you name like your top three of all time that you've just loved jamming with? My dad, my dad and my dad. Oh, good. OK, that's yeah. a fair answer. <laughs> and forgive me for asking this, but I, I don't know that you've ever been to Montreal before. And, and if so, uh, what do you love about our city or what are you looking forward to when you, you come here very soon in the next couple of weeks? I have been there and I really miss it for one thing. It's been a while since I've been there, but I love it. I love the food. I love the shopping. I love the people. And it's so beautiful. It's amazing. It's clean. At one point I was like, I, I want to move to either Montreal or Toronto. I wasn't sure, but Montreal, I just love. I think it's beautiful. Now, I've always wanted to ask you this, Sheila, when you're ever at like a house party, you're hanging out with friends, do they ever ask you to like whip out the pots and pans and go at it because of how talented you are on the drums? 
Uh, no. <laughs> Fantastic. I bring my own. That's why. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and just before I let you go, I had a quick, uh, I wanted to kind of do this Sheila E. Fast Five. Which artist or musician would you love to collaborate with that's kind of out in the ether right now? Um, I've, uh, Bruno Mars and I have talked years ago that we would do something. And uh, I would say Ed Sharing. I love him. I love him. What gets uh, Sheila E. up out of bed in the morning? Oh, man. Well, first, I'd say my prayers and blessings and thanking God for waking me up. And what does he have for me today? Because I have plans, but then sometimes he has others. And, you know, just to be able to, you know, we ask people if they want to, if they want prayer to, to please go on the website. We always, our own, my only job I've ever had is to pray for people and bring people together. And so, you know, that's what we've been asking people to do is to just go on the website and just, that's my job is to pray for people. And I've always wanted to ask you this as a musician, who do you listen to like when you're either in the car or working out? Like who who is sort of in your mind right now that's a, that's a talented musician or artist that you just love listening to? This morning I was listening to uh, Jaco Pastore, um, Weather Report. Uh, I listen today. I've been listening to a lot of jazz, but I'm actually in the studio right now recording. So I'm finishing up music. But when I went to run an errand, you know, it's just it just depends on my mood. If I'm working out, it's really up tempo, high energy music. And if I want to chill out, you know, uh, spa music, like just taking a moment and sometimes classical, it just depends. And, you know, with all the things looking back over your career, obviously you've accomplished so many things. What do you in your mind, not that you probably sit here thinking about this all the time, but is there something specific that you want to be remembered for? Hopefully just blessing someone and changing someone's life. That's amazing. And for your Montreal fans who are super excited to have you here in the next couple of weeks, what can you tell us? I miss you. I love you. Please come and hang out and come to the show because if you miss it, you're going to hear about it and you'll be very upset. It's life changing. It's fun, exciting. It's uh, a lot of energy. And I request the audience to participate in things that I ask them to do. Oh, that's amazing. Sheila, honestly, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I've looked up to you since I was a kid and just it's just so great to have you on. So thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing because we love following you. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. That's legendary percussionist, singer, songwriter, and author Sheila E. Make sure to follow her, SheilaE.com. The Kelly Alexander Show. Thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week and a shout out to our guests, Jordan, Jess Walton, and Sheila E. My thanks to super producer Andrew Sabino for producing the show. And don't forget that you can listen to us on many different podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles. You can do so by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I'll chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.